All right. Welcome, everybody. Um, I'm Pastor Brian, in case you don't know, and I'm the lead pastor here at uh, First Church of the Nazarene. Um, my wife this past week uh, got an email from someone uh, that we know, someone um, who really trusts her opinion, her judgment on things. And um, the email was from a, a, a young believer, a young uh, Christian, a man, uh, who was looking for some insight. Um, and the email was all about vaccines. It was about, you know, um, I don't know if I should get the vaccine, should I not get the vaccine. Uh, there's people that are telling me that, and you know, this is what this person was saying, is that maybe it's the mark of the beast, you know, 666. And if I get this, you know, like, and, and you could just sense um, some anguish in that email. This, the things that we've been going through in our world, folks, are not funny. They're serious. They're deadly serious. People are, you know, have been really struggling. And as I've mentioned in uh, earlier messages, you know, it's, it's divided uh, families um, and friends and, and even churches. And so the reason I've been doing this series of messages in All Things Love is because this is real to people. I had somebody uh, with tears come up to me a couple of weeks ago and just say, thank you for addressing this in our church. And um, so I just want you to know that this series of messages is very, very important. I believe it's part of my pastoral function to address this from a biblical perspective. The uh, St. Augustine is attributed as saying in uh, the essentials, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, love. And I've been following that as kind of a, uh, a theme for this series of messages. My goals for this series are threefold, and I'm just going to tell you right now, in case it wasn't obvious, is one is to show that the Bible has something relevant to say about the times in which we're living the last 20 months in particular, the Bible does speak into it. I heard years ago where somebody said, as Christians, we should have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. I guess an updated version would be, have the Bible in one hand and a current events, you know, and wherever you get that from, in the other hand, because they come together. We should never think that the Bible does not speak to present day life and the problems that we need to address in our world. It really does speak to it. And so I, I want to make sure that um, I address it and show that the Bible is relevant to this. Second thing is to show from Scripture how we should respond in a confusing time like this, in a time when the world is so polarized. And then the third thing is I want to make space for charitable discourse for civil conversations where people who may not agree can come together without attacking each other, without name-calling, without profanity, without shouting, without you know, talking over each other, and just come together and say, let's, let's chat about this. Maybe let's pray about it. Because none of us has a corner on all of the truth about these things. So it's one thing to hold different opinions on a variety of topics, but it's another thing when we very, very quickly pass judgment on those who disagree. So last Sunday, I focused on Romans chapter 14, the first 13 verses, 
Um, and basically, Romans 14 was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Rome, in the city of Rome. And um, in Rome, there was a dispute over uh, certain religious customs and whether or not it was necessary to follow these traditions or these customs, these practices. So, for instance, people that might, might be a little bit more rule-keeping, legalistic, uh, maybe a bit more towards maybe observing things from Judaism in the Old Testament, uh, they, they thought, you know, we, we got we to observe, you know, um, certain holy days, and, and there's certain foods that are unclean, ceremonially unclean, and we should not eat those foods. And, and they were very genuine about it. They were Christian. They were Christian. And Paul said, yeah, you're Christian. You're believers too. God loves you. Um, but then there was others who said, you know, that stuff doesn't matter. It just doesn't really matter. All that matters is I have Christ, and I have faith in Christ, and I, and I love the Lord, and I love my neighbor. And it was sort of really simple for them. So Paul would classify these two types of Christians as the strong and the weak. And the strong uh, in faith knew that their standing before God did not depend on man-made rules, uh, religious customs, church traditions, or anything like that, but only on the atonement of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. But the weak in faith, Paul said, were those who didn't have that kind of confidence in Christ alone and thought we needed to do some extra things to make sure that we're really in. So Paul would describe these weaker Christians as uh, weak in faith, uh, you know, oversensitive con conscience. Uh, maybe their conscience was easily wounded if they did something they thought they ought not to have done, or if they didn't do something they should have done. And so these differences of opinion were driving a wedge between the strong and the weak and was threatening to divide the church in Rome. And so Paul thought, I've got to address this. We have our own issues in our day. Now, these issues that these people were dividing over and, me, and in some cases arguing over and judging one another over um, were things that the Bible did not speak clearly to, especially when the New Testament came. And so it put the Old Testament in a little bit different light, and people had different opinions about, well, how much of the Old Testament do we have to follow and, you know, all of that. Is Christ enough? And so there was some ambiguity even in the Bible about it. So this is what it says, and this is uh, one of the scriptures from the first part of Romans 14. This is verse 3. He says, the one who eats everything, you know, who thinks everything's kosher, uh, must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. And then in verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before whose judgment seat? God's. You're not going to judge me, and I'm not going to judge. I, I'm not going to determine anything at the end of the day. The Lord himself will. And then verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of the person sitting next to me. No. We will give an account of ourselves. Well, Lord, you know, uh, what, what, what about this person over here? That's not going to wash. We give an account of ourselves. That's what verse 12 says. So Paul calls these areas of disagreement, and we have them in our day, and they're not just about COVID stuff. They're, they're theological differences, differences in doctrine, and whether we should just use the King James Version or whether the NIV is really a rotten translation or, you know, whatever. But 
we have our own disputable matters, but I call them gray areas, and you'll see this here. You know, so there's people that think there's things that are right, and there's things that are wrong. And the Bible, there's a lot of things that we would say are very clearly right, that the Bible says they're morally correct, and there's some things that in the Bible are very much, they're very morally wrong. And it's very clear, the Bible's clear on most of that stuff. But there is a bit of gray area. And that's what the Apostle Paul's talking about in Romans 14. There's some gray area where it, it isn't even clear. And God is kind of saying, hey, you, you figure it out. Now, are you okay with that? That God might say, Jeff, um, you're asking me what I... And God's saying, you figure it out. You do what you think is right. And if you read Romans 14 carefully, that's exactly what's going on. So Paul's advice on these gray area issues is... Do not judge. Do not pass judgment on your neighbor, on your brother or sister in Christ. The more scrupulous believers who just had to get everything right uh, shouldn't condemn their more liberated brothers and sisters. And the more liberated Christians who feel a bit more freedom uh, shouldn't look with disdain upon those that they think are to a rule-keeping. We need to extend grace to each other and allow for a degree of liberty. So in a sense, look at this slide, they're both right. So the guy standing on one side of that number, so the guy standing on the one side, he sees a nine, the other guy sees a six. Who's right? They're both right. Now some of you here today, maybe some people watching, uh, the live stream might be going, wait a minute, Pastor, you're arguing for moral relativism now. No, I'm not. All I'm saying is, you know, there was a day when a, a clergyman was supposed to wear the clerical collar and only dress in black and have black polished shiny shoes. And it was really considered by some people to be wrong if he didn't do that. That's a gray area, folks. The Bible doesn't really speak to that. That was a, a custom for a certain day. And, and so what, what I'm saying is not moral relativism. There's some things that are clearly right, clearly wrong. It's black and white. Most things in the Bible speak to that. But there's some gray area here. And so we can say, yep, yeah, you can do what's right for you in those gray areas, and I can do what's right for me in those gray areas. It's a matter of personal preference. So what Paul says is stop passing judgment on each other. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. And so then Paul, in the last uh, several verses, 10 or 11 verses, beginning at verse 13, Paul turns his attention to those who are strong in faith. And that means people who would be maybe more mature and more seasoned as Christians. So some of you sitting here today, you might consider yourself a seasoned Christian. Kind of you've been further along in the faith and you know a thing or two and you've grown in the Lord and you might consider yourself quite spiritual. That's who he's talking to now. So if that's you, this is where we need to listen up. Okay. He says to them to not put a stumbling block in the path of those who are weaker or less informed or less mature. Do not put an obstacle or stumbling block in their path. Do not judge is the first 13 verses. And the last 10 or 11 verses of that chapter is do no harm to your neighbor. Do not judge your neighbor. Do no harm to your neighbor. Look at verse 13. 
He says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Take a look at this little depiction here. You know, uh, I don't think people do that on purpose, although some people who have a practical jokers might think that's funny. But spiritually speaking, we should not cause people to stumble when they're walking the path of God. Verse 15, he says, if your brother or sister, listen to this, is distressed because of what you eat, because that was a big issue back then, dietary laws. He says, you're no longer acting in love. Let's stop there. If you are convinced, and Jesus did, said, did say that everything is clean. Mark chapter 7, he said, it's not what goes into the mouth that makes you unclean, but what comes out of the mouth. The words that we speak and so on. Nothing is unclean in terms of food and diet. Okay? Not for us. He says, now you know that, but he's saying, if someone doesn't know that or doesn't believe that, and then you just go ahead and you flaunt it, your brother or sister in Christ is distressed, and then what does he say? You're no longer acting in love, verse 15. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Jesus died for that person. Don't destroy them. Don't make them stumble. And then verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So sure, it's, the right, it's okay to do it. You've got permission to do it. God doesn't care, but he's saying, wait a minute, if it bothers somebody else, maybe you should think about not doing it. Because that's acting in love. It is better not to eat meat, verse 21, or drink wine, or to do anything else. He's including everything now. Not just eating, not just drinking. He says, anything that you do in life, if it causes your brother or sister to fall, to stumble, that is a sin. So he exhorts those people who are strong, who think of themselves as mature, to accommodate themselves and not just do as they please, because it's my right. Liberated believers who are kind of more in the know should not arrogantly lord it over those who are not so much in the know or maybe who are a little bit weaker, more timid, more fearful. Martin Luther, the great reformer, hundreds of years ago, he wrote a treatise on freedom. And this is just a, a very well-known excerpt. He says, and he does use the word man, not woman, but I'll just read it as he wrote it. A Christian man is the most free lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to everyone. And what he's saying is, if you're a believer, you're a free Lord of all, and you're not subject to anybody. But then he, he makes this into, and this is not a contradiction, okay? It's a paradox. Yes, you're free, but you're also a servant of all. And you're subject to all. So he's saying we need to manage how we express our freedom in Christ. So although the Apostle Paul speaks to both groups, those strong and the weak, 
and he says, you know, you should love each other and respect each other. He's putting a bigger burden on those who are strong. That speaks to me as a pastor. You know that? Because if, if, I, didn't, if I wasn't in some way uh, a little further down the road from most people in the congregation spiritually, I probably shouldn't be up here. You know, really. And, um, and so there's a burden on me to be patient when people don't understand things that maybe I understand, that I get, that I think I know. I just need to extend grace. I need to be compassionate. I need to have empathy and love in my heart. Um, and so Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. This won't come up on the screen, I don't think. But anyway, this is what the Apostle Paul says. Carry, yeah, this is a good image. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Can somebody tell me in one word, what is the law of Christ? In one word. Love. And it's interesting, he calls it a law. You know, so he's saying, the law of Christ is the law of love. It's the royal law in James chapter 2. And he's saying, when you carry someone else's burdens, that is fulfilling the law of Christ, the law of love. That's love. Carry their burden. You're saying, well, I got my freedom here. I don't, I don't have any burdens on my back. I'm not going to carry your burden. You carry your own burden. He said, no, that's not love. Carry their burden. Even if you know they're wrong, be willing to walk with them and love them. So love means I won't stand in judgment on my neighbor. Love means I will not put a stumbling block in my neighbor's path. That is loving your neighbors yourself. So we should not flaunt our freedoms, but we must always act in love. If we nonchalantly cause someone to stumble, we're not acting in love. Now, you, you know what the word nonchalant means, right? Okay, nonchalant, like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. That's their problem. So it's interesting, in, in Romans chapter 14, verses 3 and 10, he says that you should not hold or look upon your brother or sister with contempt. That, that, that word contempt or with disdain, you know what that is in the Greek? So, um, ex, exutheneo. <laughs> exutheneo. Now, in the Greek, this is what it means. It means... To treat someone as of no account, as if they don't matter. That's what it means to be disdainful of somebody. To treat someone with contempt, like, you're nothing to me. What you think doesn't matter. I don't care if I make you stumble. I know what my, my Christian liberties are. I'm going to do what I want. Too bad, so sad. He's saying, mm-mm. <laughs> That's not the way of love. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.13, he says, serve one another in love. We're, we're free, but we serve. We are free to serve, not to be served. So love means I'm willing to give up my God-given light rights I am willing to give up my God-given liberties for the sake of another. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says, the laborer is worthy of his wages, and then he uses the metaphor, he says, you should never muzzle the ox while he is threshing. So when the animal is pulling this, the sled, you know, and he's threshing the grain, he's saying he, he should be able to feed on the grain as well. And, he, and he's making a metaphor, he said, if someone is in the work of ministry, he should be able to be paid for that ministry. 
And then he says, but I chose not to exercise that right. Because he said, I know that you Christians in Corinth and other places are too poor. So I will work with my own hands. I will be a tent maker. I have a right, but I deny that right. For the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, for your sake. Folks, that's the gospel. If, if, if that isn't the gospel, I don't know what is. Because that's what the cross is all about. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, his self-life, take up his cross daily and follow me. And Jesus went to the cross. So, 1 Corinthians 8 uh, is really kind of a parallel passage. Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8. And in 1 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul uses the word knowledge, you know, a lot. And look at, look at this, verse 1. He says, now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And so what he's talking about here, he said, there, was a, there were a lot of people who were, before they were Christians, they were involved in pagan worship. And uh, they, they would worship idols and they would have meats and they would offer it up to the, to the idol, to the God. And then when they became Christian, they would say, well, before I eat this meat, uh, was this meat used in idol worship? And they, they felt like maybe if it was, I shouldn't eat it. And Paul was kind of saying, it doesn't really matter. Don't worry about it. But he said, if you know that it's okay to go ahead and eat that meat anyway, he says, you may know something and you might be fully convinced in your own mind, but look what he says in verse 2. He says, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. And then he says in the next verse, not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled to them. And so all he's saying is, we have to, as Christians, be careful about things that we think we know. And so this does apply to a lot of the controversies during COVID, where people were saying, I know that these things don't work. I know that this is, you know, evil, and I know that so-and-so is part of a conspiracy, and I know this, and I know that, and I'm going, he's saying, you know what, we often think we know things, but he's saying, you don't know as much as you think you know. And he said, we need to have more humility. That's all this is saying. That's really what he's saying here. We just need to exercise more humility. Um, we should not elevate these areas that are gray. Now, this young man who wrote my wife about the vaccine, very confused, wondering, what do I do? What do I believe about this? Really confused. You know what? Someone, there are people who have elevated something like a vaccine, a gray area, to dogma. They become dogmatic about it. And they're sort of like, if, if, you, if you're one of those, if you get it or don't get it, you're not part of our tribe. And you know, we shouldn't, either side, let's stop the judgment and let's not cause each other to stumble. And so our knowledge of our rights and freedoms doesn't mean we need to assert them. It's better to set them aside. So look at this. Look at verse 11. This is 1 Corinthians 8. He says, so this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died. Notice that little phrase. Jesus died for this weaker brother or sister. They're destroyed by your knowledge. 
When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, who are you sinning against? You sin against Christ. We can't say, oh, you're of no account. You matter to me because you matter to Jesus. That's the attitude that we should have. And so he says in verse 8, food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and we're no better if we do. And then he says this in verses 9 and 10, be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Be careful that the exercise of your rights doesn't cause them to stumble. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? And what he's inferring there is that they will go and do what they see you doing, but then later they're going to feel so guilty over it, and their conscience will condemn them. He said, don't, don't, don't do that to them. So what we need to do is look at one another as created in the image of God and look at each other as someone for whom Jesus died. The Apostle Paul says in verse 13, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so I will not cause them to fall. And what he's saying is, I have a right to eat it. God doesn't mind if I eat it. He's fine with it. It's not a sin. It is not a sin. But he said, if it causes you to fall, if it causes you to stumble, I will never eat it again. And some people might be thinking, well, that's going a little, that's a little extreme. That's going too far. But that's what the law of love tells us to do. So the kind of social and political divides we're facing in our day have nothing, well, there are quarters where these things do matter, but I'm saying globally right now, those aren't the issues. Um, it's really more a matter of, uh, you know, where there's people who see conspiracies everywhere and are convinced that we're being lied to by people in authority. There's people that feel that way, you know, and they mean it, like they're really concerned. Um, and then there's those who are willing to give the benefit of the doubt to people like Dina Hinshaw or Jason Kenney or people that say we got to lock down or you can only have 15% attendance. And we're more willing to kind of go along with it because we say, you know, we're going to give them trust until we have really, really good reason not to. And so these are gray area wish issues that we're facing in our day, but Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 applies to it. So here's the question we should ask ourselves. Is this a battle worth fighting for? You know, is it? Is it really something that we just have to argue with each other about and divide over? And you know what? Most of this stuff, we don't have. We should talk about it. We should have civil conversations, charitable discourse, and learn from each other, but we don't have to fight over it. So over the last couple of weeks, I've received a number of questions and comments, and I'm just going to quickly address some of these, I'm gonna, then we're going to go into prayer. So I had somebody say to me, you know, you said last week, you know, that we should probably extend trust towards the authorities. But, you know, I learned that we should question everything. And, you know, that is actually the scientific method. You know, question everything and follow the evidence wherever it leads you. 
That's, that's science, and I'm, I'm fine with that. And I think as Christians, we should follow the evidence wherever it leads, and we should ask questions. We should ask questions. But while we're asking questions, we're still extending trust, not mistrust. Not, that's not our knee jerk. And so here's the point. I would say, of course you should question. If you think that the people in authority are wrong, call them on it. But here's where we need to be careful. You can disagree with something the government says and say, I think they're making the wrong call. But when we go to judge their motives and call, call what they're trying to do as good and call it evil, we might be going a step too far. Because we don't know the motives and the hearts of every person. And so, yeah, we should question things. Um, but we need to be careful about our attitude when we're questioning. So 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. This is a great one to memorize. Do not judge anything before the appointed time, but wait until the Lord comes. Wait until the Lord comes. And he will both bring um, to light the things hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of people's hearts. He will bring into the light what is now in darkness. We have to just wait. There's some things where people say, well, Brian, what do you think about the vaccine? And what do you think about 666? And what do you think about the mark of the beast? And what do you think about... I go, you know what? I don't necessarily have a strong opinion about a lot of that stuff. Well, you need to land somewhere. I go, no, I don't. I'm going to say, I'm going to wait till the Lord comes. Why, why, why do I have to... You know, people say, are you pre-tribulation? Mid-tribulation? Are you uh, pre-millennial, amillennial, post-millennial? Like, what, what do you think about the return of Christ and the judgment? And, 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 and they want me to land on some particular uh, way of understanding. And I go, you know, we don't have to. The Church of the Nazarene doesn't. You know, we can allow some liberty there because the Bible doesn't make everything crystal clear. And so we just got going, I, I don't have an opinion. Well, I got some thoughts about it. So here, that was one question. Sure, question everything. Question things, but don't judge. Second thing is, am I saying that we should never speak up uh, or, or spout our opinions? I made a statement last week, and I need to walk it back a little bit. I said, you know, I said, <laughs> be convinced in your own mind, but keep your opinions to yourself. I said that last Sunday. Uh, I, need to, I need to temper that a little bit, okay? I'm going to, okay. So I, was, I, was, I think my intent was right, but what I was meaning is this. There is a place to share your opinions, but we have to do it charitably. And so we've been doing these podcasts in, in our church. And Ryan's been a part of that. He's sitting over here. And, and we're, we're sharing our opinions. You know, we're saying this is what we think. And, you know, uh, and this is the advice we might give. But it's, it's the spirit in which we do it that really matters. And here's the thing. When we're sharing our opinions, we should not be overly dogmatic about the gray areas. And bully people into trying to think the way that we think. We need to leave room for others to speak. We should, we should listen more than we talk and learn from each other. So anyway, the third question I've been asked is, am I saying that Christian unity, to have unity that we have to agree on everything? Not at all. We don't have to agree on everything. I've had conversations with a lot of you about a lot of things that we don't agree on, still don't agree on, and you're sitting here today. And we love each other. And we learn from each other. Iron sharpens iron. Um, and so in some sense, we could say we're both right or maybe we're both wrong. Um, but we should stop arguing. Okay, question four. Are you, there People have asked me if I'm saying that those who are strong have to always yield to those who are weak in faith. Do, how far do I go in yielding to someone 
who doesn't really understand the scripture as much as they should, and they become maybe too rule-keeping, too legalistic. Do I have to keep bending over backwards? That's a matter of prayer, folks. I, I, where is that line? All I know is when someone says, you need to wear a tie in church, or you shouldn't have your shirt tails out, um, whatever, I have to go, okay, God, what do I do with this? And all I need to do is I just need to have a heart of love. Whatever I decide to do, I just have to make sure that it's prompted by love for that person. And then the last thing is, what good is this principle of Augustine in the essentials unity, in the non-essentials liberty, and in all things love? What good is that if we don't even agree on what the essentials are? What good is the principle? Brian, we need to figure out what the essentials are before we can move any further on this. No, we don't. Because he says, in all things love. While we're trying to figure out what's essential, we can still love each other. If someone is a part of what we would call a cult, okay, or let's say they belong to another world religion, and we're not agreeing on the essentials, and they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that, he died, that his death on the cross was an atonement, do we then therefore hate them? No, in all things love. Even when we disagree on the essentials, we still love. We still love. It's still about love. In all things, love. And so what we're going to do now, if I just want to invite you to join me in just a moment in a time of prayer. I really believe this is the gospel. Jesus was the Son of God from all eternity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I mentioned this last week. And he left heaven came to earth he emptied himself of all his rights and privileges as God of his glory all the way to the cross when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness and the devil said I want you to stand here and look you know and look at all the kingdoms of the world I can give this to you on a silver platter you don't have to die you don't have to suffer. Just bow down and worship me. I, I can give it all. And you know what? He could have. Because Satan is the God of this world. And Jesus was tempted in them. But he turned away. Worship the Lord your God only. He went to the cross. Jesus was never about, I've got my rights. I've got my freedoms. I've got my glory. Stay out of my way. Never. We're called to follow in his steps. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And we are called to the same. So let's pray. Would you do this? And this just, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And I'm wondering if we could just do this. Would you just say, Lord, I submit myself to do your will. This begins with submission. It begins with submission. Are you willing to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done? That's where it starts. To say, Lord, I don't want to be stubborn in my own opinions. I want to keep an open mind. And Holy Spirit, I want you to guide me into all truth. I want to be submitted to your will, Father. The second thing is, if you've been judgmental, judging others, 
would you just say, Lord, I repent of this right now, and I ask that you soften my heart and give me a heart of humility. Would you be willing to confess to the Lord, say, Lord, I've been judgmental. I've condemned others in my heart. Forgive me, Lord. I have been dismissive of people and been uh, coldly indifferent to their distress when I've perhaps bullied them. Forgive me, Lord. If you've been a stumbling block, would you confess that and say, Lord, help me to care how my words and my actions affect others, to be responsible for my emotional wake. And say this, Lord, make me teachable. Make me teachable. And in the middle of this prayer, I just want to, as our heads are bowed, would you be willing, as a practical thing, say, Lord, I, I, I'm willing to watch a newscast or read an article or read something that has a different point of view than the one I hold now. I'm willing to listen to something or to, or to a podcast that espouses a different point of view just so I can learn something and maybe come to appreciate the other side? Would you be willing to set up a coffee time with someone this week who you know has a different point of view and say, hey, you know what? I know we don't agree on this, but can we just get together and talk and have a charitable discourse? And maybe we can pray for each other and learn from each other. And then, would you make a covenant with the Lord that you'll be led by the law of love that in all things you will love others and that you will put others before yourself and meet them at their point of need and carry their burdens. Would you be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ for the sake of his church, his body, in Jesus' name? Amen. God bless you all.